You're listening to. And you're listening to the Collabcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. Turn my back on the things I knew, fell in love, and now it got me confused. I was young, I was filled with fire. The smoke was just getting higher. Fell hard, I was hurt and bruised. It was at this time that I became recluse. The cards were dealt and I played. Broke the rules so I couldn't stay. And hey everyone, welcome to episode 150 of the Collabcast. We made it to 150, Minji. Can you believe it? Please don't, don't ruin, ruin this Yeah, I know. Everyone's going to turn it off now. They're like, she, she ruined it. It is Thursday, December the 14th, 2017. Um, I'm Marvin Ye. I'm Minji Chang. And we are your hosts for this weekly look at Asian American and pop culture. Um... And we made it to 150 straight weeks of podcasting. And yes, we did. I was just telling our guest about that because it has been quite a journey. So we're nearing what, three years? Almost three years. Six episodes away from three years. Can you believe it? Oh my God. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, let's introduce our guest. So our guest this week is um, our first, I guess, super professional guest, like an actual we legit. We've a lot of pros, but like a creative pro. <laughs> this is like a whole different part of the professional sphere. Yeah, like is that actual... AKA boring? No, no, not AKA boring. Your job <laughs> fascinates me, which we're going to dive into. Our guest this week is the vice president of strategic community alliances at Nielsen um, in charge of sharing data about and with the Asian American community. Marco Carpenter. Welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. How are you feeling? Good. good. Is this your first podcast guest it appearance? Is. It is. We have the supreme honor of being several of our guests' first podcast. So we, we have a badge of honor with that title. So we're very honored to have you on here today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And Margo's here all the way from New York. And so we're lucky enough to be having her in LA while Marvin's out in Asia doing his thing. How's LA been treating you? Great. I'm just weirded out by the the fire. Yeah. Interesting time for you to yeah. be. <laughs> I that's all I hear on the TV and I'm like I should be I'd look out the window. I'm like looking at the air, you know. It's it's quite the uh event here. Right. Yeah. Have you seen smoke? No. Okay. No. Luckily I'm I mean I'm in downtown. So yeah, so you're more eastward. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't have those natural disasters in New York, so yeah. um I'm I'm experiencing really my first one out in LA and I'm I'm here quite often, so Wow. Kind of Yes, Harry. Well, y'all have yeah. uh, y'all have hurricanes and and water to deal with over there. We do, we do, but you know, it's not. I don't it, the fire thing. It's so out of control. Yeah, um, and so hard to. It sounds like so hard to manage that that part would scare me. Yeah, it is scary. And then it's I from where I live. I live in the valley, San Fernando Valley, and you can see the smoke. And so that yeah. it feels like. And we've had ash like in my front yard yeah and that's been scary the images on tv is very scary yeah yeah, yeah. so hopefully we're, we're sending our love to firefighters to lafd yeah because they're the heroes and um full disclosure i'm peeling back the curtain we're recording this episode on actually the friday before this week because i'm about to uh, um head off to china 
uh, behind the Great Firewall, and we wanted to make sure that we have an episode in the can to keep this um, 150 weeks straight um, adventure going. Uh, so, in case so you're there is all the magic, in case there is no more fire, that's why we're talking about fire. <laughs> we want the fire to be gone by the time yes. this goes up. Immediately, uh, but you make a good point. Like um, the disasters that we deal with on the West Coast, which is um, earthquakes and fires and earthquake-related tsunamis, are really things that you can't really prepare for, right? You, mm-hmm. you can try They're to you can try to prepare, like you can try to do preventative stuff, like dry bush burning and just general preparedness. But unlike hurricanes, where you can see it coming a couple of days or weeks away like our disasters are kind of sudden it's yeah, yeah. maybe that, i think that might really impact kind of the culture where you are because like i don't know how i would feel if i was in hurricane country where i'm anticipating it for days i'd be having a panic attack like every five minutes it'd be a different version <laughs> of me for sure but anyways, yeah. we're glad that you're safe and that you're enjoying LA. Have you been eating a lot of good food and stuff? I am. I am. And I always fill up on the Asian food when I'm here. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. Did you go to Koreatown? Yeah. Had my lunch there today. <laughs> nice. Nice. I'm glad to hear that. Awesome. Well, we're going to talk more with Mariko about her career and her work at Nielsen after the break. But We start every episode off with a pop culture roundtable where we go around our little table and talk about what's on our minds in the world of pop culture in Asian America. Um, Our virtual table. Yep. Our virtual table spanning across the Pacific Ocean. Uh, And this week, um, let's start with our guest. Uh, Mark, what's on your mind? Ooh. um, What's on my mind? This might be old news for you guys, but um, the casting of Mulan being a Chinese actress makes me happy. I'm a mom and uh, I work in diversity. So when those two mesh together and companies um, put effort into making, uh, you know, diversity more apparent for our kids always makes me happy. So, um, uh, that's that. That's definitely something that I'm I'm happy about today. Applause all around. I was actually just praising Mariko because she's flying out tonight, red eye, to see her daughter perform in the Nutcracker, which I think is amazing. So, can we know your daughter's name? Mia. Mia. Mia will be performing in the Nutcracker, and she's ten and amazing. And now Mia also has a Chinese actress playing Mulan. That's right. So for right. all of us, myself included because i was a lot younger when mulan the cartoon came out um it's it's very meaningful to well even when the cartoon came out i was i was so happy yeah and i'm not chinese but and this is disney Mm -hmm. you know the all american uh, when i think of disney i think it's the all american you know like snow white and cinderella yes um but you know they're they're doing they're doing good stuff for their trying right so i give them a lot of a lot of credit and 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 we've seen that all in um american girl dolls yeah right? they came yeah. out with z uh the, the korean american they came out with the hawaiian 
and did they? So, yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. And Z, of course, is a filmmaker and a vlogger. So what? Yeah, she's the doll cool. is a vlogger. Yeah, she's so cool, and she has her YouTube a YouTube channel too. What? You have to check it out. But, That's a very uh, brilliant marketing plan. Yeah, but you know, it's just uh, when it happens to to things that influence children, it's really, really good stuff. Um, and you know, it, it it makes sense for businesses, right? Because Mattel, who owns American Girl, was just saying that their sales has you know increased double digits because of this. You're welcome <laughs> for diversity. Um, but it's, you know, cause it's not, the, the increase in sales is not even, uh, from the, the sales of just the Z dolls, but it's because these moms want to support companies that are actually right. showing, right. doing, doing right, right. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, so so good, good things happening for our Asian American kids out there. I mean, and you don't want just one doll; you want the set so they can have friends and <laughs> like right. I'll do the thing. You know what I mean? So it's That's like right. total win. That, That's right. Now you're delving so, into ne- their nefarious plan, but um, I think I it's know, great. <laughs> it's great that um, there are like representation has become a thing for for children because you know thinking back, like what did what did we have when we were kids? Um, we had. I play with Cabbage Patch Kids, <laughs> Barbies, and Rainbow Bright Doll. Yeah. And My Little Pony. And I can say specifically, you know, I have definitely contemplated how I was influenced by Barbie dolls because the time that I was a kid, it was the very standard Malibu Barbie, blonde hair, blue eye. And there, as far as I can remember, I don't remember seeing any other options. Wasn't it there was like- literally just wardrobe, like different <laughs> versions of Barbie, but it was she just was Barbie. Always blonde, yeah. It was always blonde and blue eye. Didn't she have like a black-haired friend boots. that could have been Asian if you like squinted a little bit? Not that I remember, like my collection, which was pretty extensive. And whenever I play with my cousin's collection, which I wanted to steal and my best friend's collection, which I also wanted to steal, but I didn't because my mom, um, they're all blonde. Sorry. And then there was like Malibu Barbie, like what's her, there was like her little sister or something also blonde, (laughs) just shorter than Barbie. Yeah. But blonde. And now, you know, even Barbie, there's so many, there's, oh, there's so, so many, many ethnicities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's so many. I, and I think with Mulan, it's the same thing. Yeah. What were you saying, Mark? No, I, said, I had, I played with Ninja Turtles, which if you think about it, technically are um, teenagers adopted by Asian parents. So yes. I guess technically. <laughs> Master Splinter <laughs> was Japanese. <laughs> Let's be clear about this. Immigrant parent raised, um, <laughs> Surviving off pizza, exactly. pretty much my childhood, yes. right? Um, except for the ninja right. part and the turtle part. <laughs> well, we all could wish. I, I, I too played with Ninja Turtles and GI Joes, but that's Gojo. That's all white. Yeah, men. they had that one Asian guy that oh, it's pretty much like Bruce Lee, but a GI Joe. Um, they did. They had an Asian guy in GI Joe. Yeah, it's the he's the mascot for Angry Asian Man. That's uh, that's a uh, quick kick. He's, is his name? Uh, he's from GI Joe. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> I had no idea. Oh, kids these the days don't know how know. good they have. They have their Nihalk Highland. They have their like, mm-hmm. just like, they have their Moana and their Coco and their Mulan. 
Well, we Margot, I ask you too, yeah. as a parent, like, were you very mindful of that when like, obviously Mia's 10, so you've been like dealing with the kinds of things that she plays with and her toys and whatnot, and you're making the purchase. Yeah. Were you, were you ever intentional about that or did you ever try to like steer her towards or away from anything? How was that? Yeah. Yeah. And as, as a parent, you know, I, I, uh, I, I try to let her go her way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but definitely, when uh, when she would reach out for like the blonde, blue eyes, you were like, ooh, you know. Um, <laughs> especially because in her generation, there's there was definitely a lot more, right? Um, but you know, it's just it's not even just for the Asian children, I think, or the the you know multi- multicultural children, but it's really uh, all children, right now. They expect the 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 white children, the white girls expect to see variety when they right. walk into the American girls exactly. store, right? Exactly. So, and their parents, um, even though they themselves are maybe white American families, they want to see a company that actually reflects you know the diversity in this country. So, right, uh, it's really you know I, I, when I grew up, uh, there were so many things that were Japanese that. I was not embarrassed, but you know, uh, I, that I didn't really want to, that I didn't necessarily showcase. Um, like I, you know, my parents would always want to make rice balls for me every time there was, uh, Oh, the lunch, lunch. Yeah. the lunch struggle is so yeah. real. Oh my gosh. And I'd beg her, like, can I just have ham and cheese, you know? Um, or peanut butter at that time that was still okay. But, mm. um, but now when, when my daughter, I drop her off at ballet, you know, ballet recital and they have to order in dinner or something like I see her friends like eating poke like California rolls from Whole Foods like you know and here's my my daughter eating pizza so that's so funny um, but you know it's the the the, now the authenticity is is in vogue right people want to see authentic stuff right and and especially kids I mean 51% of children under 11 are multicultural so this is this is the America they know I can't wait to hear more of this data that elaborates on this. Because it's all like just conjecture or like theory. You can say, oh, you know, there's a lot. You can say it's just that descriptive. Like there's a lot more multiculturalism. But now you, now Marco sweeps in and she can just tell us all the numbers. Like, well, actually it's 51%. And let me break it down further for you. I'm like, yes, please do. Yeah. Um. Um, what's on my mind is, like I mentioned right now, I'm in Taiwan, about to head to Shanghai to visit family. Um, my, my, my parents live abroad now, so I only get to see them a couple times a year. And it's always, like, so, I don't know how much you guys, I know Minji doesn't really travel back to um, the home country that much. Um, although, she, I, I know you, you've been wanting to come go back to Korea uh, more frequently now. Um, of course. <laughs> but it's always interesting to just like fall back into old habits like i used to come Mm -hmm. to taiwan every summer and just you know getting the language skills back getting the um just the flow of the city remembering where all the bars and restaurants and subway stops are um Mm -hmm. and oh it's just the feeling of immersing yourself back into a place where everyone looks like you um it's it's actually a good break from from being in in la although in, in la i do hang out mostly with Asian Americans because of the community work we do anyways. Um, And he lives in San Gabriel Valley, which is like all Chinese. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but something that um, spin on my mind because I've been going around um, markets recently <clears throat> is the unspoken, and I guess this kind of goes with um, you know our our Asian American identity and stereotypes is the unspoken culture of chinese bargaining and i don't know if this is the same for like koreans and japanese people but something that's a through line for my family other families and everyone here is everyone loves a deal and everyone knows how to bargain and people don't realize that there's nothing there's stuff that you can't bargain about right have you guys ever experienced that like the the dance of bargaining abroad i have but i don't go to asia that often i remember that happens and i just don't know me being like the american i don't it's funny that you say like oh you feel i think it's because you go back every year i don't feel really i enjoy going to korea but i went there last year for the first time in 11 years and so there's part of me that felt like oh you know like everyone quote unquote looks like me but at the same time i felt like i stuck out like a complete Mm. like crazy sore thumb Mm. um so i don't feel that like ease but i don't care like it doesn't bother me but i don't feel like i look like everybody but in any case i don't bargain like i suck at it because (laughs) i'm used to like this is the retail price pay it or get out and like that's just how i shop i am also terrible at it i'm I'm really really bad at it i need to bring my mom with me to like do you do that marco (laughs) well it's so funny that you say that but because i i think it's in my blood right <laughs> I went to uh, my husband is the all American guy, and uh, we went to Bali when we were first dating. And I remember we were there were there are these craft people who come to the hotel and to to sell their goods. And I started my Asianness, I guess, came out, and I started bargaining with these people. <laughs> and, and Scott just couldn't understand what I was doing, you know. And I'm going back and forth, and we're talking, you know, numbers. And then he just looked at me, and was like, Rico. This is like you're bargaining for ten cents. Like, like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> That's a portion of our next meal. Stop! Arguing, stop questioning me. Um, but it was so natural to me. But until he stopped me, I was like, "Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> this is how I roll." That's right. Yeah. So he probably didn't see that side of me until uh, we were in Bali. That's like, really cool. I know the steps. I know how to do it. I just hate doing it so much. But some people love it. I know um, friends who would go to Asia just so they can bargain because they can't do it in America. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. I was yeah. like thinking, I was like, where can you do that? You can't even do that at a farmer's market. Like there's none of that. There's none of that. It's like, this is the listed price. Pay it or please leave. That's so funny. They, they're definitely doing that to me. Well, cause I, there was a point, one of the last times I was in Korea prior was when I was like 19. And at the time I was obsessed with like, designer label yeah. goods and Korea is exceptionally good at the knockoff stuff. And I was just so scared also because the way that the shopping, you know, areas, there's so many different shopping areas, but at the time that was like early two thousands and I was there and they were like, Psst. they're kind of like, <laughs> Hey, Hey, like you want, do you want a purse? And I'm like, what, where am I? So I think that automatically put me on edge of like, I don't belong here. I don't know what I'm doing. But my aunt, I was with my aunt. She handled it like a pro. I just stood back and I pointed. I was like, I want that one. The thing is like, they are, they're all like knockoffs. They all tell you they're real. The thing is, if you don't, if you're not buying it from like a actual legitimate department store, they're probably not real. And you can like, get, Oh no, down, I don't think know? they ever fronted that these were real. They would like, they're pretty, pretty honest at least about that marketing they're like no this is the best version yeah. i forgot what the words they it's use like, no one like, will ever private. know yeah 
No, when I lived in Paris, so this is, well, this is off the knockoff tangent, but when I lived in Paris, there were all the designer boutiques and all the stores in like the second arrondissement and on Champs-Élysées, like Louis Vuitton, et cetera. And they have uh, security specifically for Asian tourists because there are people (laughs) who are sent there to get the real thing. Mm -hmm. And so when there's an Asian person in the vicinity, there are hawk eyes on you. I actually never went into the store because I didn't want to deal with that, but I heard it and I saw it that um, there are are Chinese people and I'm probably sure Korean. I didn't like investigate, but there are Asian people outside of Louis Vuitton offering you 3,000 euros cash to walk in the store. Like they'll pay you a portion. They're like, can you go please buy this purse? Yep. And one of them was like, any purse, just get anything. Just wow. pay, here's the cash, please bring it to me. So anyway, there's a whole thing where there's like a reason why this is like the black market or whatever. And they're like, Asian oh. people are crazy. We don't have the best rep in Paris. I mean, we're, we're Asian people are becoming the biggest tourist market. We're, we're, I think China is overtaking America as the biggest um, source of tourism money for a lot of countries. So you see a lot of Chinese now in like outlet malls and in... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's um that's been on my mind because I just went shopping last night and it was just... I saw this thing that uh, one of my friends wanted and I was like, okay, playing through the steps in my head. All right, I'm going to enter at this price. They're going to lowball me or they're going to bring it up. I'm going to bring it down. Eventually, after we've finished all of our, our back and forth, I'm going to walk away and they're going to gonna pull me back. Um, because the truth is... Is that is, how it goes, Margo? Because you're the pro. It, it sounds good. sounds good. Yeah, that's strategy, a, sound, that's yeah, a good strategy? Yeah, that's a good strategy. Okay. Because um, my dad says it best. My dad is absolutely savage at bargaining, but like, they're not going to sell it to you if they're not going to make money. The fact that at the end right. they still sell it to you means they're still making a profit off of it. So um, you just have to – the secret uh, – this is the secret for all you um, American-raised um, people who want to go abroad <laughs> and engage in this secret art of bargaining is you have to be willing to not get it. Like if they know you want it, it's over. Game over. So you have to go in with the ex- expectation that you might not get what you want. And then everything is okay. It's pretty applicable to everything in life. You have to be able to want to, like, if you're down to walk away, everyone's like, but wait. <laughs> but somehow I feel like, you know, with, with this bargaining, you never walk away feeling good. Do you, do you get that, Marvin? Like, so, you know what I mean? I mean? I'm not experienced enough to, yeah, Marvin, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, Did you feel I'm, good about your, your purchase I, yesterday? I mean, like I said, I'm really bad at it. So the fact that I walk away with, like... <laughs> Even like a twenty five percent discount, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Okay, (laughs) I understand. There's there's varying degrees, right? There's there's the LCD degree. Like, man, I could have brought it down more, right? (laughs) Especially like if they if they if you make the deal before you walk away, you know, man, I went too high. I started too high. This wasn't the best (laughs) that I could have gotten. That's so funny. (laughs) I've learned so much in this five minute roundtable discussion. What's on your mind, Minji? Um, I know it's a little bit premature. What's on my mind? I'm 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 already thinking. I've been actually thinking of 2018 pretty much since Empower ended. Oh, no. <laughs> um, maybe even before it ended. But I'm actually really thinking of. Uh, I'm getting into the New Year's resolution mode. So I'm just kind of, you know, 2017's winding down. It's been a very eventful year for a lot of different reasons. So yeah, I don't have. Um, 
I have certain things kind of concrete down and I'm actually reflecting on things that I succeeded at mm-hmm. trying to remember I, I I write it down somewhere and I don't know where the heck it goes because I try to write things down of like this is what I want to do for 2017 so I'm just curious for you guys like if you had if you guys do the resolution thing each year and how you're feeling about how the year went if you because I'm pretty sure I actually think um, at least one at least two of them I did that I, I succeeded. One was having to do with my health and exercising more frequently. And then two was like, just like making more of an effort to talk to my parents more. Mm. That's a good one. So to those two like are really important. Those if ironically are not the career related ones. I swear working in entertainment like takes you a million different paths that you don't expect. But those two, I'm happy that I can say like, oh, I think I met my resolutions. So I was wondering about you guys. You mean about this year's resolutions? Twenty seventeen. Yeah, this year's. Did you guys did you guys do you feel good about now that we're concluding twenty seventeen? Did you guys set any goals or did you <laughs> if you like- didn't like <laughs> I feel like 2017 was so like anxiety ridden, um, but at the same time, very productive for me, especially in terms of like what we were able to accomplish with collaboration, um, what I've been able to do with the podcasts. Um, I mean, there's there are the like the, the two you mentioned are the general ones I try to make every year, and mm-hmm. I don't feel as good about those. Um, although 2018 is another year in a month, um, but. You tell me, Marvin, I'm going to be on your case every day. Like, (laughs) so remember the thing that we talked about? I've never really been a big resolution setter. Um, Although I am goal oriented. So I don't know. I think it's just there's there's, there's never been anything to keep me accountable for New Year's resolutions. Those are just like, you know, little promises you make yourself. Enter Minji. How about you, Marco? Um, I am really good at making the, the resolution. Now, keeping it yeah. is a totally separate story. Um, but I'm like 50-50. You know, one of them was definitely eat, eating healthier, like, as a family, uh, you know, in, in what I cook. And, That's so good. Um, so I feel like we we have achieved that. Great. There's definitely more room for improvement. But we, we did, we did, we, we, we made head, headway. Um but you know the the exercise and and taking care of myself part yeah that's on my list i mean year. and your mom too honestly like i i think about all these things cuz i feel like my priorities have definitely shifted the older that i get and my health is like I keep it keeps coming up in different ways. So like not just the eating well and exercising thing, but for me a big deal, which I actually don't feel like I met the resolution, but I did make headway was meditation and just like mm-hmm. relaxing. Yeah. That has actually become a really integral part of my priorities of like what's up on my mind at least. I can't say that I practice it as much as I want. Yeah. But um yeah, I feel like it's just so critical and that's a very universal thing that everybody struggles with. Like, well, you do your day-to-day, you work really hard, you're taking care of others, you have a daughter, you have a husband, you have a lot of things going on and you're living in New York. So it's like nonstop and you're in LA a lot and whatnot. So yeah, so I think that kind of segues into like, so is it kind of the repeat? Do you have the, is it going to be kind of a copy-paste situation for next yeah, year? Half of it will be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you have Marv? Like, do you want to tell me now so I can <laughs> rag on you? Every well, day? I mean, there's the general like, I don't, like you know, as you get older, you start thinking about 
quality of life. So you know, definitely want to want to be healthier. Um, on the other hand, especially in the creative like or entertainment media fields, you know, a lot of our our work is self motivated, right? So definitely mm-hmm. want to advance professionally in that aspect as well. Um, like setting goals, like you know, I want to make X amount a month. I want to uh, be able to produce X amount of things. Um, yeah. And I haven't really set those yet, um, but being more like I, I'm good at execution and planning. Um, but there's like this. But this, now it's about setting the intentions. Yeah, there's this middle like part kind of where back I kind from like of, the bigger meta. Yeah, like there's there's this middle connection part in between that I can't really articulate. I think yeah, like the the intention part that that I tend to you know lose steam. Right, I get really into the planning and then I lose steam before the execution. Although I'm like really good at execution. Right? Well, Marco, you work in like data. You know, your your job and your world and your company is very data driven. But do you do you actually? How would you? Because I realized this about myself that I actually wasn't very goal oriented. I was mm-hmm. very visionary, which I feel like is very different. I have very grandiose ideas. I have big things that I want to do, but goal setting in terms of like setting a timeline and being mm-hmm. very concrete about I, like what Marvin's saying, I want to do this number of episodes of this by Q1 or whatever. Right. Are you that kind of person? Like what's your... Yeah, I think I'm definitely like a, a data, okay. even, even in my in my mind. So, um, you know, it has to be measurable. <laughs> See, I like my... I didn't operate like that. Yeah, but, but you know, but you're a creative person, right? You have... you you that That's what fuels your creative juice, I think. Um, but yeah, no, for, for me, it, it, it is about measuring. But, but you know, the, the, when you don't succeed, it's, it's painful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because you're like, oh man, I was supposed Uh, to do 10. I did did like (laughs) 2.4. Yeah. Didn't quite work out that way. But I I really admire that. And it was it was kind of a funny moment for me to realize that I wasn't goal oriented. (laughs) Because I'm still an ambitious person. I still have a lot of things I want to do. But when I was like, I've never said how many or when or, you know, none of that. Yeah, but look at all all that you've achieved, right? So it doesn't really it's that's just one tool. True. You have other very goals. true, and it's because I'm surrounded by other people who are very like <laughs> measurable people, and I'm like, thank God, because I'm not. But I'm working on it. Marvin, I Marvin's gonna work on the intentions. I'm gonna work on the measuring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll all have hopefully. 2018 a very... will be a good year. Oh yeah, yeah. I have yeah. a good feeling. <laughs> um, we're gonna take a quick break right now, and then um, come back and talk more with Marco. Stick around. Hey everyone, it's Marvin here coming at you from uh, Kunshan, China. Uh, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Collabcast, episode 150. Can you believe it? Uh, for those of you who stuck with us over the last three years, thank you so much. And uh, here's to um, even more Collabcasts to come. Uh, the Collabcast, of course, is a part of Collaboration, a nonprofit organization supporting Asian Americans in the arts and entertainment. Discovering, developing, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of the AAPI community. To learn more about collaboration, check out our website at www.collaboration.org. And if you feel like supporting our programs, such as this podcast and our annual showcases, uh, please consider donating to uh, Collaboration. 
You can find out more about our programs and make a tax-deductible donation by going to www.collaboration.org slash donate. The Collabcast is also a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American-hosted podcasts featuring unique voices from around the Asian-American community. As you know, I like to highlight a different member of the Potluck Collective every week, and this week I wanted to give a quick shout-out to They Call Us Bruce. Uh, they Call Us Bruce is a podcast hosted by Phil Yu of Angry Asian Man fame and Jeff Yang, probably the oldest of G's in Asian American journalism. Um, in each episode of They Call Us Bruce, Phil and Jeff take an unfiltered look into Asian American pop culture. You can find They Call Us Bruce and the other great podcasts of the collective by going to the website www.podcastpotluck.com. And uh, that'll do it for this break. Thanks again for listening to this episode 150 of the Collabcast. Uh, let's get you back to the show. And welcome back to episode 150 of the Collabcast. That's woo, woo, woo. we're here with our guest Marco Carpenter, um, Vice President of Strategic Community Alliances at Nielsen, um, and our special episode 150 guest. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> what a break we had. <laughs> so I, I I started the pre pre interview interview process and I found out that Margo has fifteen years with Condé Nast before prior to Nielsen, which is like a wow. new chapter in her life. So I have so many I just like so curious about what that <laughs> well, really quickly, was like. Um Marco, what does the vice president of strategic community alliances do at Nielsen? Okay, that's a good question. I know it's a mouthful of a title. Um, but basically, I'm the lead when it comes to Asian American data, and I'm the thought leader. So I go out and I share the rich body of work that the smart data scientists do um, with the Asian American communities. I share it with our clients um, and really empower and educate people on on the data, uh, uh, the data around our community to help them with their mission. So if it's for an organization, helping them achieve uh, to for better representation or, um, you know, helping the community. And then for our clients, really to share with them the contributions that we make, right? Uh, the piece that we, the, that we represent in the American public. That's amazing. Do you also... Um strategize or like do you direct what kind of data gets collected or is that kind of like the data scientists handle that no we, we it's actually a very collaborative process That's really cool. um, because uh, we get the pulse of what the community is talking about what data what where, where there's gaps um, of data that could help the community as well as you know we listen to um, what's being sort of uh, asked of us from our client side um, so it's really a collaboration collaboration <laughs> see, um, when we when we put these reports together that's crazy yeah I've read a bunch of your guys' reports um, in the past few years and it's always interesting because you're measuring not only like people think of Nielsen think of Nielsen boxes ratings and things like that but you also measure um, purchase and digital um, information where we're spending our money what industries are we most li more likely to spend money on compared to the general public and like just measuring the 
economic power of the Asian American community. Um, that's it's a. How do you explain to like um, companies that? I mean, so it's as part of your job to explain to companies why the Asian American community is worth focusing on as its own subunit instead of like yep. taking care of with general marketing, right? That's right. That's right. So, I mean, any company who's uh, who's serving the American public, if they're serving the American public, um, we are part of that, right? right. Um, so that's how I that's how I look at it. And you know, Marvin, like when you when you talk about the buying power, that is where sort of uh, what puts us on the map when it comes to, from a commerce. Uh, corporate side, um, because our spending power, you know, in 2021, which is what three years from now, it's 1.2 trillion dollars, uh, and that compared to Hispanics, which is three times larger than us, their spending power is projected to be 1.8. Okay, um, and African American, they're almost double our size, and they're like at 1.5 or 1.6, I think. So. Uh, you know, that's where we just have a lot of influence. Um, we're we're a young group, and so it's really there. We're t- getting the attention of uh, of all these brands that that you know are looking ahead, right? They all, all every business is always sort of want to see what's next, and um, it's the, our data that sort of gives them a light, uh, a vision for what's ahead, and we are very much part of that picture. Wow. That's, I mean, again, I, I'm the creative, right? I'm like the non-measuring creative. I just feel everything. Um, that's really, I, I guess that's my, the way I gather, you know, it's partially through data and just kind of understanding and reading things and being a little bit more academic, but a lot of my, uh, it's just experiential, I guess. It's mm-hmm. through conversations with folks. It's kind of gathering the energy that I get people like when they mention Asian or they mention anything related. I'm very social, so I feel like that's the way I gather data. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more on a intuitive level, I yeah. guess, and perceptive level. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just really fascinating to me because the numbers have been showing this narrative and it's its own version of storytelling, right? What do the numbers say? That's right. Is that there's extreme bias power and then compared to population and then further breaking it down I feel like we're like <laughs> I'm the nerd that now is like oh god disaggregate the data and like that's like a sexy thing to me um, but it it really does serve us to kind of understand our habits and mm-hmm. our uh, priorities I guess and like how we spend money on like say education or travel or uh, technology right mm-hmm. um, and even how that that helps disaggregate the narratives within the age, because it's such a broad term. That's right. There's like, what, 46 ethnicities? Yep. How does that play out when you're gathering that data? Because you're like, that's tackling a really big yeah. Group of people. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that comes up every time we talk about data in Asian Americans. Yeah. Um, and really the data, the aggregate data that we pull together is, is really important for, let's say, your targets, right? Of the world or your L'Oreal's of the world when they are brainstorming about a new product mm-hmm. or when they are thinking about where to open a store. 
we need them to see us as a group, as an entity, um, because that is, you know, uh, they don't, they don't, they don't want to see the grand so much of the granular, but they need to see it aggregate, uh, aggregate uh, as a community, and so that's where our data fits into play, right? Um, but then you have you have organizations like AAPI Data that really focuses on disaggregated data, right? Mm-hmm. So that they can look at pockets of dis, you know of Asian American communities that really need help. Right, right? exactly. Um, so I think that there's different data for different purposes. Right. Um, but I'm out there uh, really just talking about the macro, looking at it on, a, on an aggregate level, and really getting us uh, at the table, trying to get Asian Americans at the table so that um, these companies could understand, better understand our, our needs and what's important to us. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's two sides of the data coin, right? On the disaggregation side, that's really useful for policymaking, right? Making sure that the underserved communities get the services and programs needed to, to lift them up. But on the other side, data and numbers is the language that corporations speak. And so if you can speak their language and show them how important the Asian American market can and will be, the Asian American market now becomes part of the decision-making process when they decide what type of creative they want to have for their marketing and you know, what mm-hmm. types of product mixes and what types of like where they open the store and what they have in those stores. And that affects people like like you, Minji, when it comes to acting. Um, if they know that this certain product, this certain market has a bigger Asian American or Asian um, market, then they hire Asian faces to help sell it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah. And I was just saying, like, because on my end as an actor, I mean, I've, go to, I've gone to what, three commercial auditions this week and I was in a commercial yesterday and just like, see, I'm always, gather, again, experiential. I'm like gathering data. I'm like, what do I see? Who's doing what? How are they doing what? Yep. Where are they placed? Because it's all very metho- like strategic and mm-hmm. thought out of placement and by George, if I could spend a whole <laughs> podcast episode just explaining what it's like to be in a single like food product commercial. Like I've done a beer commercial and like they, they're, they're very conscious of like, oh, this is the girl that's holding this and they're going to hold the can versus the beer. And like, this is all data driven, right? Right. They're saying like, oh, well, there's more of these types of people that consume this. We're going to market to them. And it's kind of scary. It's like fascinating, but it's also kind of scary. Like, wow, they know everything, right? And um, I'm just curious, like what you've learned, like what have you, do you have like a specific thing that was like a complete shocker? Like you never knew this until you entered Nielsen and you like learned this part about Asian America that you didn't expect. Like, do you have anything like that or something that's been really particularly intriguing to you? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's just the the size of it, right? The size of our influence, the size of our spending power, that that really uh, was an eye-opener for me mm-hmm. after coming to Nielsen, especially because like, I just thought some of it was just because that's that's who I'm surrounded by, right? right. I know, uh, you know, I follow Asian Americans on, you know, Instagram, like, but then I, I didn't realize actually there's a lot of people following some of these individuals, Asian American women, and it's not just Asian American women. Right, right, right. right. Um, So that, you know, that sphere of influence and how 
big that is really, really surprised me. Right. Um, and like, I, I, as I said, I married, I'm married to an American, American guy. And I just thought, well, I'm married to an American guy, but actually there's a lot of, you know, Asians who are multiracial. Right. Right. Um, and so when you think about that, if you're multiracial, then your sphere of influence goes to a whole new level. Right. Because now you have like, if think about my blended family, my in-laws didn't even know of an Asian people before they met, you know, Scott and I got together. And so now they know a lot about my culture, right? right. Um, so just that that uh, that sphere and that influence and the size of it, really, I knew it was there, but I just didn't realize uh, that there's numbers that prove the size of it. Wow. And you're saying, what was, you were saying about children, you're saying, what, what are the defining qualify what are the qualifiers for like this age group that you're talking about you're saying that children now so children under the age of 11 under the age of 11 yeah. okay 51 percent of them are multicultural wow so they're, as of 2017 yeah so they're they're growing up in a community in an environment where the whole friend group is a mix yeah right so when they are looking watching shows of a friend group they want to see a friend group there where there's a lot of different race you know right. mixed uh, a reflection of their reality so um, that's something that we really have to keep you know that companies actually are are understanding and realizing that oh okay that's that's their normal right. so we you know we really got to get on this bandwagon to <laughs> represent America the way they see it that's really cool uh, that's so awesome I mean um, <laughs> it's it may be a bandwagon now but it's pretty soon going to be it's already reality it's just um, it's it's cool that you're starting to see especially all these studies saying that diverse companies diverse stories they're not only better for society and representation they're better for business like they do that's right they perform better yeah it's a business strategy and um so at first you know i get happy when like when disney announces about you know the chinese actress for milan or if american girl comes up with an age at first i'm like yay um but then i think about it and i'm like well duh you right like like they <laughs> know wouldn't you? Yeah, Are you crazy yeah they know that that's that is the buy in that consumers are looking for in a brand um you don't want to be left out and be a brand that uh people are start going to think like you're or so backwards, right? Right. Um, uh, so, I uh, yeah. So it's it's definitely a business strategy, and I think a lot of companies are finally starting to realize that. So that's what's really exciting. And I think that it's this it's coinciding very much, obviously, with the expansion of our worlds becoming everything's more about a global reach. That's right. So you just, you'd be really silly, you know, on a very, for me, I've kind of, when I approached diversity, it was very much more on like an ethical level and more about, you know, respecting your fellow man and woman and trans or, you know, being respectful to fellow humans. But now it's really just like, it's also just as much about like, my my irate uh, you know, I'm like, are you dumb? Like you're, <laughs> if you're being racist, you're like not only revealing that you know you're a bigot or like maybe less than like a respectable person just like being respecting of other cultures and other ethnicities and backgrounds and lifestyles but also it's bad for your business like this is 
we're all trying to live in, and maybe, and again, it's kind of a chicken or egg thing. Maybe the process of pursuing better business, you then become more open minded mm-hmm. because you need to be. That's right. To be competitive. That's right. right. Like that's the that's the optimist in me. <laughs> yeah, and that leads yeah, to. I hope. <laughs> yeah, and that leads to uh, when this podcast goes live, of course, um, an Asian American, a black British guy, a Latino guy starring in the latest Star Wars movie, which mm-hmm. is like the biggest franchise in the world right now. And I'm so yes. sad that I'm going to miss it because I'll be in China where it doesn't come out till January. So I'm not going to see any Star Wars until I get back. Life is hard, Marv. <laughs> <laughs> Switching gears, uh, I, I want to know more about your career like another big issue in the um, asian american community is the bamboo ceiling like how tough it is for asian americans or asians to reach the upper echelons of american companies when that, that itself is changing as well now now that we're entering this era where where diversity is not only accepted but championed yeah, yeah I, I i'm very know more curious about like career. what led to this role because yeah. you know i like just ran out the gate at the very top of this segment like hey so 15 years of Condé Nast, what was that like and I'm just curious, like what I'm curious, like, especially with anybody creative, professional and in between, what was the original plan? Yeah. Right. Yeah. What was the original vision? And then how did that change? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And um, so I was at Condé Nast for 15 years and Condé Nast is a, comp- it, it, you know, it's magazine publishing and very good in terms of diversity of women. Right. Because yeah. there's a lot of women in publishing um, and they, you know, Condé Nast publishes Vogue. Vanity Fair, New Yorker, GQ, uh, all these sort of consumer consumer fashion uh, fashion focused magazines. Um, so really good with women, but definitely not good with diversity when it comes to ethnicity. Um, as I was I was growing up, and 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 fifteen and so fifteen years at Condé Nast, and prior to that, I was at Forbes magazine. Wow. Um, so there too, it was owned by the Forbes family, and very very uh, non diverse environment. Um, but but, you know, I, I and and at that time there was no ERGs, BRGs. That right? There's there was very little support system. There's no chief diversity officer. Um, but I think you know what what helped me in my career is that I really had good mentors. You know, um, and they weren't Asian because there weren't a lot of Asians. Um, but uh, I found and I seeked a mentors that actually saw who I was. You know, the complete me, Um, not just me, the one who always is willing to do the work and work hard and, you know, stay late and all that stuff, but um, which a lot of people, a lot of people did, but really see the whole of me, you know, um, know and know my background, know that I have my family's in Japan, know that it's really important for me every other year to go back to Japan, like all that kind of, kind of stuff. And, and that takes a lot of, um, you know, uh, I, I had to go and, and, and make an effort, right? And touch base with them and, mm-hmm. and see, you know, uh, and, and make time for nurturing those relationships. Um, but I think that was sort of the, you know, my, my, my path um, and uh, what I tribute my, my, uh, my career to uh, in terms of 
going up the the corporate ladder and um you know pivoting to this this role here it's like it, now i am uh i find this great sense of um fulfillment right because i get to work and meet with people like yourselves who are really passionate about championing asian american uh representation or if it's on the civic side right getting more more asian americans in congress and policymakers, uh, I really, really admire the work that that you guys do, that all these organizations do, and uh, I, you know, it's as corny as it is. I've um, almost, I mean, it comes to almost a year at Con- at um, at uh, Nielsen, and it just gets better um, because I get That's to, good I to get, hear. yeah, I get to meet meet people, and when they call me and they're like, Rico, you know, I, I, this this data, uh, I'm pitching something, and you shared this data that I think would really fit nicely you know can you can you remind me what that was or I get these calls where I'm actually helping somebody yeah, right yeah and championing uh, for us uh, is really 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 a good feeling so um, I'm really you know I there of course I, I I love the thrill of being in a in in a in a commercial corporate environment um, where I had a, a team and I had the goals and all that good stuff. But uh, it's definitely another level of fulfillment uh, in the work that I do now. So um, yeah, so that's, that's how I, how I, I landed here and I'm, I'm really, really um, enjoying this. We're so glad. To, I mean, that's, we continue our circles and our spheres of, entertainment or media or understanding how it fits into the grander scheme of things is always expanding. And I feel like that was definitely working with you guys because you guys have have been partnering with us for a few years, but it's like always kind of like diving deeper, right? Beyond just um, putting on events and it's looking at how it fits into that bigger picture, right? This is one touch point and this is a point of impact. And that's what Marvin and I, I think we've learned continuously through every single small or large event through every podcast kind of getting feedback constantly it's a constant feedback loop and knowing that this does inform or educate or inspire or you know launch the next thing that's really the cool part of what we do not just meeting celebrities and getting to work with artists which is amazing but really seeing where it ripple effects yeah and um now data is a new sexy part of my life because i mean that's what the funny part of me adulting is like well now it's all about setting goals because you know your energy declines so then you're like okay my time's precious so what do i want to do and when do i want to do it um and that's where i'm really fascinated by all the the, that story and that narrative that what your work does and yeah marv well, it's interesting you say about the ripple effects because we've been lucky to come up with um, the pioneers of like this new wave of Asian American digital artists, and we're starting to see like because we work with you know up and comers, kids who were inspired by Asian Americans who they watched on YouTube and who they watched mm-hmm. um, doing shorts and who they grew up with like representation being shown through through YouTube and things like people like your kid who will grow up um more i guess um 
well-rounded in their media representation diet because of those who came before. And I'm sure you know you you also have um, people that that you work with that are up and coming that that look up to you now as the representation of what they could become, I, I think which really- did not exist before, <laughs> which is great. Um, Mark, what was it? Can I just, I was, cause we we're getting a little short on time, but I wanted to, what did you study? So you were, you journalism? That was like, no, I actually, or? uh, I double majored in French and Asian studies. Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. So I, I, when I, when I graduated, my friends were like, well, you could, <laughs> you could work at a French bookstore that sells Asian art books, you know? <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, you know, my, my upbringing is a little bit, uh, uh different in that my father was a diplomat. So I learned French before I learned English. And so, um, so I kept French as I, even when I got, came to America, um, and it continued on into college. Um, but, uh, so, so that's where my French, but my passion for the Asian studies really came. It wasn't until I got to college that I really wanted to go back to my roots, you know, and understand and learn more because like, you know, when you think about a high school in America, like you don't learn very much about Asian, you know, Asian history or Asian. I learned zero. I don't remember anything. Yeah. So even in world history, it's like, we're just a blip, you know? Um, so that's when I discovered it in college and, um, I really became passionate about just, uh, seeing the history of Asia through the arts, you know? Um, but yeah, so look where it took you. I know. (laughs) It's like a full circle. Now I'm back working with Asian American community, so yeah. uh, it's it's been it's been really good. Not too I shabby said, for you know, a liberal arts degree, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, not too shabby at all. <laughs> I think there's a way to integrate everything. And, you know, we've worked with so many different backgrounds of artists, not just artists, but, you know, our leadership with the, our interns and our staff with collaboration. We get, get to constantly meet such a wide net of the diversity that is Asian America and beyond and all the folks that support us. And there's a lot of non-Asian Americans that care and support and love collaboration. But in that, I think that's a very universal journey of what do I invest my time in and how does that apply to the future? And that in particular with what you study and what you major in, or even if you don't go to school, but like how that, how that then influences your future. You know, I I was pre-med and I was doing public health. I was like really on track to becoming a physician or a policymaker. But for me, I still carry all of that with the arts. You know, I still see like it, it, it wired my brain to understand data and healing and, you know, healthcare and all that stuff. It just kind of like copy and pasted that framework to arts and media. And I think it still totally holds. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I argue back with my father all the time because he's like, (laughs) why do you waste your degree at Berkeley? I'm like, I did it though. I'm trying to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. I went into my college years uh, as a math major. Wow. I came out as a French Asian studies. So uh, you could see my parents being like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Question mark? Big one? That's really cool. Well, well we, we're very grateful that you're doing the work that you're doing. Yeah. Thanks. It's really important. And on that note, uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Collabcast. It's, this has been episode 150 with Marco Carpenter from Nielsen. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and talking about your career and your work. Um, do you have any um, social media where people can follow your thoughts or, or your work? I'm on Twitter. That's what is the handle? 
Mariko Carpenter. Mariko Carpenter. So original. <laughs> yes, it's great. It's clear cut and you can like find you. That's great. Yeah. I hate when I have to like search for people. I'm like, where are you? Why are you like blue bubble 49? Like, no, put your name. <laughs> That's just me though. Yeah. As always, you can contact us at the Collabcast by emailing us at podcast at collaboration.org. Uh, subscribe to this podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Um, leave us a good rating and review on iTunes if you can. And what else? Uh, thanks to Jennifer Chung for use of her song Recluse uh, for this week's intro and outro. And yeah, that'll do it. Uh, thanks again to our great. guest, Marco Carpenter, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me and, and keep up the great work that you guys do. Thank you very much. We're big much. fans of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, we'll see the rest of you next week. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.